Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I'm Brian Jewell. I'm your host, and I am pleased as punch that you decided to spend some time with us today. You know, I've never understood quite why punch is supposed to be pleased, but it is. And well, that's exactly how I'm feeling about today's podcast. That's how I am feeling about today's guest, because we have a featured conversation for you today with Eddie Lutz. Now, if you don't know Eddie, he works with the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum in Kentucky, two of the most popular and I would argue most spectacular faith-based attractions in the United States. And he's going to talk to us all about faith-based travel. Now, certainly he's going to fill us in on some of the details that you may have always wondered about the Ark, but he's also going to tell us a lot about faith-based travel in general. So if you've always kind of wondered, hey, what's up with this segment of the travel industry? Is it really a thing? What's it all about? What does it take to put together a faith-based tour? Eddie has the answers to all those questions. So even if you aren't involved in faith travel, it's worth listening because he's going to give you some insight that you may not have had before, tell you how you can bring more faith-based groups into your travel program. And uh, hey, here's a bonus for you. Uh, If you are a member of a church that doesn't do any travel now, but you think it would be a fantastic thing for your church to do, Eddie is going to give you some pointers about how you can start a travel program at your church. So uh, one way or another, that's going to be a super helpful conversation for you. Can't wait to get to that portion of the show. Before we do, though, I want to share some travel news you may have missed. Now, this is news coming out of Germany, and boy, this is a big item. The German government has announced plans to force travel companies outside of Germany and even outside the European Union to pay a value-added tax on foreign sales of German travel. Now, this means that tour operators and travel agents in the U.S. would have to register with the German government and pay taxes on their sales to American customers and American travelers pay taxes to the German government. Now, uh, the tax rate varies based on the services they sell, but it can range anywhere from as little as 2% to as much as 9% tax. And this is in addition to the sales tax that those companies are paying on their sales in the U.S., It's also stacked on top of value added taxes that these companies are going to pay in Germany when the travel services like hotel rooms, flights, meals, et cetera, et cetera, are actually rendered. So what we've got here is, well, it's a tax stacked on a tax stacked on a tax. Now, as you might imagine, American and European tour operators associations are absolutely livid about this announcement. They're calling it an unfair double tax on travel. And they say it's actually counterproductive for Germany because, you know, in most economies, travel is actually considered an export, especially uh, travel uh, from foreign countries uh, inbound to your country is considered an export because it's bringing in economic activity from outside the country. And uh, some experts are saying that putting an extra tax like this is basically taxing exports, which uh, is never a great idea. Now, this uh, regulation is set to go into effect on January 1st of 2023, uh, but there are some serious questions as to how the German government is going to be able to enforce this provision or build an infrastructure to administer the program and collect the tax. Uh, It's notoriously difficult to enforce laws outside your own borders. And even if they are able to get uh, tour companies and travel agencies, not just in the U.S., but all around the world to buy into this scheme, uh, the question of whether they can put together an infrastructure to uh, register all these companies and uh, collect the tax 
Well, that is a huge proposition. And to many people, it sounds like something that is much, much easier said than done. Anyway, this is worth keeping an eye on, and uh, we will certainly keep an eye on it and let you know what happens, especially if anything changes. So that is your travel news for the week. Next up, I want to share a road tip with you that could help you in a situation where you find yourself in a place where you don't like what they have to eat and you need to find a different way to feed yourself. You know, if you do enough foreign travel, you're probably going to end up in a country that has a style of food that uh, you are uncertain about. Uh, Now, many of the times that I have been to foreign countries, I've gone in a little bit hesitant about the food and then found it absolutely delightful. I have been surprised, very pleasantly surprised and absolutely enjoyed every meal. But there have also been times where I've been to a place where the style of food they serve is just not my favorite kind of thing. Maybe the portion size isn't what I need. Maybe you have some dietary restrictions. Maybe some people in your group do. And you need to know that you are going to be able to eat to uh, have the nutrients you need, to have the energy you need to sustain you on a trip, regardless of what the food style is like in the place you're visiting. Well, let me tell you what I do. If I'm going to a place like that and I'm unsure what the food situation is going to be, I pack a little bundle of snacks to go with me. This just goes in my carry-on backpack and uh, it goes on the bus with me every day and uh, it really comes in handy. So hopefully the meals I have are great and they're filling and I have everything I need. But sometimes Well, there just may not be that much food that I like on the table. Sometimes uh, we may miss a meal. There's a scheduling snafu. Something goes wrong. And so I need to dig into that pack of snacks to tide me over from breakfast to dinner or just to, I don't know, have a, a little taste of home somewhere along the way, especially if it's a long trip. So what does that pack look like for me? Well, It's uh, just a small quart size uh, Ziploc bag. And in there, I'll pack a handful of granola bars. I'll pack some beef jerky. And uh, depending on whether I am being very conscious about the stuff I'm eating, I may also pack some bite-sized Snickers bars. Now, those bite-sized Snickers, if you're going to a hot place, there's a, a solid chance that they might melt in the bus in your luggage. So think about that before you pack this. But uh, regardless of whether you decide to bring the candy or not, this can be super helpful to have in an emergency. It's also great to have if you uh, are diabetic, if you have to watch your blood sugar, your insulin, or you have people in your group that do. So if you are a group leader, if you put together trips for groups of people, I think you can take this philosophy and uh, expand it to your entire group. Now, um, if you're traveling in the U.S., I would always recommend stopping before the trip begins at a warehouse store or someplace like that, buying a couple big boxes of uh, prepackaged snacks like pretzels, some cookies, some granola bars, and just having those available for people on the bus. It doesn't cost you very much, but people perceive it as a lot of value and they're going to appreciate the fact that you do that. If you know that you have travelers with special needs, you can uh, include those items that might help them with their blood sugar, some snacks that are gluten-free, dairy-free, whatever it is. Having those on hand will help them feel confident that they are taken care of, that they are never going to go hungry, that they're never going to end up in a medical emergency because of the snack situation. So packing snacks is a pro level travel tip. If you're going to a place you don't know that you're going to like the food, you should do it for yourself. Regardless of where you're going with a group, you should make sure you have some snacks or your travel provider, your tour operator, your bus company has some snacks so that no one ever goes hungry and no one ever feels bummed out by the fact that they didn't get what they needed at the restaurant. 
That is your road tip of the week. Now, before we go on, I want to tell you something that you may not know about us. You know, the topic of our featured conversation today is faith-based travel, and you may not know that we publish an entire magazine all about this topic. It's called Going on Faith, and it comes out quarterly. That means four times a year, we send out a magazine full of tons of information about faith-based travel and how you can put together great faith-based trips for your church, for your community, for your customers. That magazine is going to have uh, articles on different destinations you can take people to. It's going to have our insights on some of the best attractions and activities, places like the Ark Encounter and other great uh, attractions and activities and experiences that you can plan for faith-based groups. And you know what? This magazine is absolutely free. You can subscribe right now by going to goingonfaith.com slash subscribe. We'll put that link in the show notes so you don't need to worry about pulling over to write it down if you're driving. Goingonfaith.com slash subscribe. You can sign up for the magazine there. You can sign up to receive the accompanying e-newsletter, Faith Travel Minute. And hey, you can read every article we have ever published right there on the website as well. So give it a look. You are not going to want to miss it if you have any interest in faith-based travel. Now it's about time to get into our featured conversation with Eddie Lutz. Before we do though, I want to encourage you to hang around to the end of the interview because I have some more thoughts about this whole situation with Germany and taxes and the general problem of countries and municipalities trying to tax tourism. We're going to talk about that in the hot minute. You won't want to miss it. We will be right back with Eddie Lutz. All right. So if you're looking for even more reasons to make plans to visit Savannah, look no further. From the moment you arrive, you'll be greeted with moss-draped live oak trees, fresh coastal breezes, and enchanting history around every cobblestone street. Savannah strikes a delicate balance between hip and historic, casual but cool, elegant yet approachable. Spend the day exploring the city's illustrious culture, roaming through the green city squares while sipping on your go-to cocktail before hopping a trolley to your next adventure. The best experiences happen when you let Savannah take you along for the ride. You never know what characters you'll meet or what's in store for your next tour. And that's just the way they like it. See why groups of all sizes fall in love with Savannah at visitsavannah.com. All right, everybody. My guest today is the director of sales for the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum in Northern Kentucky, two of the country's most popular faith-based attractions, which have welcomed more than 10 million guests combined. He also serves as a pastor in the Cincinnati area, and he's one of my favorite people in faith-based tourism. Eddie Lutz, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. So 10 million guests, that is an enormous accomplishment. It is. We uh, the Creation Museum opened all back in two thousand seven, and obviously we had a you know a lot of people coming over that time. But when we opened the Ark Encounter in twenty sixteen, that just exploded. So combined, tell, welcoming ten million guests is an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I want to drill down a little bit into sort of the origin story of these two attractions because your organization has been around for a long time, but mm -hmm. uh, for much of its history, it wasn't really focused around tourism. So tell me how Answers in Genesis got the idea to start the Creation Museum and why they picked Northern Kentucky as the place to do it. Sure. So, 
Yes, the, the parent ministry is called Answers in Genesis, and it's a teaching ministry, publishing ministry, so much more. And it was founded by Ken Ham, um, who is really the, our CEO and visionary behind really the whole thing. Um, when he came, he's originally from Australia, and he came to America really teaching the authority of God's word from the very first verse. Eventually, that idea came to form Answers in Genesis, but specifically with the vision of building a creation museum mm. um, as a really a counter to some natural history museums and the, the worldview that's being taught. So um, Ken uh, partnered with two other gentlemen. And they moved to Northern Kentucky. The reason Northern Kentucky was two reasons. One, back in that era, there was an article that it appeared that ranked Cincinnati as the number one city in the country to raise a family. I'm hmm. um, having raised my family there. I could say it's probably not no longer true, <laughs> but um, but back then it was. Hmm. And uh, so that was part of it was moving their families to Northern Kentucky uh, from San Diego. Um, the second and more important reason was in the Northern Kentucky uh, region, you are within a three-hour flight or a 24-hour drive of 70% of the population of the U.S. Wow. So if you really want to reach the um, the majority of people in the United States, that really is a central hub, and uh, that's how it ended up there. Um, the Creation Museum is by the Cincinnati Airport. We're only seven miles from there, and that was the first step. Um, the second step, of course, is the Ark Encounter. Originally, the idea was to put them at the same location. Mm. But as we did the feasibility studies, we realized we would never be able to get that many people through the museum and, more importantly, park them. Uh. So we really needed a separate property, and that property is right on I-75 where we own 800 acres. The park itself is about 130. They're close enough that you can do them in the same day, but far apart enough that it's a really bad idea. Yeah. So it's a wonderful location for us. Yeah. So you guys knew that there was a market for uh, this kind of experience after having opened the Creation Museum. Uh, tell me about what the expectations were when you were working on opening the Ark and then what the reality has been in terms of uh, popularity and traffic. Yeah. So we, I mean, again, we opened in 2016. We see approximately a million guests a year mm -hmm. at the Ark Encounter. Um, you know, even through the COVID times and all that, I mean, we didn't hit a million, but it, it averages out to that, yeah. but a, a million a year, um, that was around the expectation of, of what we expected to see. Um, we see momentum growing year after year after year, which is exciting to see. Um, and then at the creation museum, our attendance almost tripled. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, we, somewhere between doubled and tripled the attend the annual attendance at the Creation Museum, because while the Ark Encounter is um, what I like to call the anchor attraction, you know, people are coming for the Ark Encounter, but they're staying for the Creation Museum. Yeah. Almost every, you know, not every guest, but most of my groups and almost every guest is attending both when yeah. they come into, come into the region. So it wasn't an either or thing. It wasn't people were stopping going to Creation because they were going to the Ark instead. It actually maybe even extended their trips. Oh, yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. In fact, this year we actually launched a um, what we're calling a bouncer ticket where we've added, in addition to the combo tickets we had to do the Ark and to do, do the museum, 
now a three-day pass where they can go back and forth between for that very reason to, yeah. let, to allow our guests to extend their their visit yeah so you focus mostly on selling to uh, groups tell me about what the response has been in the tour market yeah the, i mean the response when we first launched the um, arc encounter was exciting because being involved in the tour market attending all the shows I had the, the benefit of having established relationships on the Creation Museum and then had about two years where I was telling everyone, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, mm. now it's here, Yeah, you know? And the response was just overwhelming because, oh, you build an ark, I can sell that, you know? <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think as even to this day, I mean, here we're, we're over five years in, almost six, I go to... You know, a lot of these uh, tour market shows, not just faith-based, but across the board. And I mean, we're probably the hottest thing there still, Yeah, you know, as far as the conversation and groups that are coming and they're coming over and over again. It's not just one-offs. I mean, you know, there are many that make numerous trips every year. Yeah. So on a good day at the Ark, how many tour buses will be in the parking lot? Well, I mean, back, you go back to 2018, 2019, there were great days where I had as many as 50 buses in the parking lot. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. um, that's not the norm now. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I have 15 out there, um, I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah. And, but we're, but we're seeing such a great return now, especially here in the spring and, and groups that I already have booked for fall that I know are coming. Um, we're seeing that strong return. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Ark is insanely large, mm -hmm. and uh, I've been there a few times. Uh, I can't possibly put into words right. how overwhelming this thing is. So I'm going to ask you to put into words, <laughs> just to give people a sense of what we're talking about here. How big is this Ark really? What is the feeling of standing next to it, walking up to it? How do people react to it? Okay, well, I'll give you the first reaction. The first reaction is as your bus comes, either groups or our shuttles that run from the parking lot, you make a final right turn and all of a sudden you see the arc and um, that the gasp that you hear on the bus <laughs> is my favorite part of the day. So yeah. that's first reaction is when people see it for the very first time. But it is the largest timber frame structure in the world. It's 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, 51 feet high, stands about 15 uh, feet off the ground. It uses 3.3 million board feet of wood. You could stretch from uh, um, Williamstown, Kentucky to Philadelphia. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's a, just an absolutely massive structure. And the, the, the other moment, I mean, you've got that moment when you first see it, but the other moment is standing next to it. Mm. And, you know, people read their Bible, they get a sense of the ark and, you know, what was involved, but until you've stood next to it, you, like, as you said, you can't put it into words. You, yeah. you just can't grasp it. So it's an amazing experience for people, even before you walk inside. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not just big for big sake, right? I mean, those dimensions no. mean something. Yeah. I mean, they are the dimensions that are given in the scriptures. There's some uh, um, question as to what the actual length of a, cu a cubit is. It's elbow to the fingertip. Um, it's normally standardized at 18 inches, which would be 450 feet. What we've used is what's called a royal cubit, which is elbow to the fingertip plus a hand breadth. 20.4 inches, um, which many of the Old Testament uh, um, construction projects would have used. Yeah. So that's why we use that longer cubit. But yeah, that's where we get the 510 feet long yeah. uh, number. Yeah, that's incredible. So uh, more than 10 million visitors at the, the two combined properties, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes 50 buses or more if it's a good year. Uh, who are all these people and where are they coming from? They're coming from all over um, nationally and, and internationally. 
Okay. So it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a mixture. Um, a lot of, we'll start with the tour groups. I mean, yes, obviously we have church groups, church buses, you know, that kind of thing that are coming on a daily basis, but we have a lot of secular tour operators um, who have planned numerous tours to the, to the uh, Ark in the Museum as well. We get international visitors. And to be honest, that's not a market that I've personally gone after strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's neat because we're an international ministry. And I think that the ministry is the introduction to the Ark in that case, mm. whereas in the U.S. it's the other way around. Yeah. The Ark is the introduction to the ministry. Gotcha. So we have people from, from all over of many faiths. Um, who come. Yeah. So that is interesting because I think a lot of people may sort of see something like the Ark and think, oh, well, that's for evangelical Christians. Right. Uh, but the appeal is broader than that, right? I mean, do you have people who are not professing believers at all? Who, all the time. Who, and do they come? Are they uh, skeptical? Are they angry when they leave or do they enjoy themselves? Although probably all of the above. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've been with the ministry a long time and uh, with the Creation Museum, I used to say, that at least in part, um, we were preaching to the choir a little bit, mm-hmm. that most of our visitors would at least profess faith in Christ. They might be all over the place on creation and evolution, but at least profess faith in Christ. The day we built the ark, everything changed. Mm. So the ark, as you said, does have a much wider appeal. There's nobody that doesn't know the story of Noah's ark. Yeah. Okay, I use that word story on purpose in that case. Yeah. But, um, but so there's a level of familiarity. And, you know, people wonder about, well, what is this place? What, you know, this structure, it's massive. Why? You know, that kind of thing. So I definitely think, and I've kind of experienced this as I've talked to guests, that we certainly have the believers coming, the evangelical believers. We have many, many, many non-believers. And as I said, people of other faiths as well. And they come and their minds are are um, challenged. Yeah. You know, Um you know, well, yeah, this is plausible or, Hey, I never thought about that. And honestly, we have numerous cases, um, of people who actually have come to faith. Wow. Literally walking through. Yeah. Yeah. And I can tell you all kinds of stories about that. Oh, for sure. For sure. So I want to drill down a little bit on those people who are already believers, maybe coming with a church group, because I know church groups represent a lot, uh, of those groups. Uh, tell us about the relationship of travel in churches. What is uh, faith-based travel all about? Is it common? Is it growing as far as you can tell? Um, I believe it's growing. Uh, yes, it's pretty common, but I believe it's growing. Um, what What are the benefits of that? Um, you know, for one, um, inspiration, mm. right? Um, you, you come to a place like the Ark. I mean, you have to be awe-inspired. You just mm-hmm. have to be, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, it's fellowship. Okay, the time that we share together as a group of people, whether it be a faith-based, you know, church or whatever, or whether it be another group um, outside of that, but but there's still a, a camaraderie, a fellowship that you share. Um, in the case of the Ark Encounter, I mean, we pride ourselves on the fact that we are a biblical authority ministry. Mm-hmm. Basically, what you're seeing is the truth of Scripture lived out. For a pastor, that's exciting, yeah. right? For people to be able to connect what they've been taught, what they've read, what they understand, and to be able to see that in, a, in such a way that brings it to life is powerful, whether it be the ark, whether it be the museum, whether it be the Holy Land, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So I know you work a lot with partners in the region and uh, cross-promote and package things, and, mm-hmm. and many of the partners in the region are not faith-based attractions. Right. They're, you know, riverboats and other sure. museums and fun yeah. things to do. So 
Talk to me about the mix of things that church groups want to do when they travel together, because I think a lot of people assume, oh, well, you know, those people only want to do faith based attractions or maybe they're going to tour some historic churches or or whatever. But based on the itineraries that you see that you're a part of selling, what do churches want to do when they travel somewhere? Yeah, well, the the reality is, you know, that is a um, a confused thought that every thing on an itinerary has to be faith based for it to be a faith based tour. Mm. You know, again, I used the word a minute ago, anchor attraction, and that's the case in Northern Kentucky. You know, I go to these motor coach shows, uh, tourism shows, and I'm selling, come to the ark, come to the ark, come to the ark. My partners, on the other hand, are saying, since you're coming to the ark, mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. ride my riverboat cruise, visit my aquarium, et cetera. So, so the reality is when, when a tour is put together, People want to have fun. Mm. People want to eat. <laughs> you know, they yeah. want to enjoy themselves. So, and yeah, it's in in this case, it's a faith based um, tour. So yeah, you start with that anchor, mm-hmm. okay. And in our case, we're blessed to have two, right? So you start with the ark. You add in the creation museum. Then you begin to fill in all those itineraries. So. I mean, great partners that I work with, BB Riverboats. Okay, so we're right on the uh, the Ohio River. Um, which is the most beautiful skyline in the country. Mm. And to be able to ride that riverboat, it's the best place to see it from. Yeah. So to do dinner um, after spending the day at the Ark, they say two two boats one day, <laughs> you know? So you come, you enjoy your day at the Ark, you go relax on the riverboat and have dinner. Yeah. Um, there's Newport Aquarium, which is a, you know, a top level aquarium nationally. Um, you have the Hofbrau House, which is not only great German food, but um, entertainment with it and and other things in the region as well. And and you begin to fill in that itinerary to make it an experience that they want to come back to. And also, you know, you mentioned partners. Um, I also was part of my role as I also manage um, our hotel relationship, our hotel partners, mm-hmm. partnerships, mm-hmm. where I have, I think I'm up to 54 hotels Um from northern Cincinnati down through Lexington that we're referring, um, that we're, we're helping them get their hotel nights booked. So that partner, they benefit from that partnership as well. Yeah. So when you look at the itineraries uh, that you're helping to package for church groups and compare it to the ones you're booking for just general tour operators, uh, mm-hmm. organizations that don't have a specific faith outlook, do they tend to be pretty similar itineraries or do they differ in significant they really ways? Do. They really do. I mean, for the most part, in because again, we have that anchor, they do tend to be very, very similar. Um, you know, some some of the um, um, secular tours might include more, you know, because a lot of the church groups are kind of, we want to come, we want to see the ark, we want to see the museum, we want to, you know, head on back. Yeah. Um, and that's not always the case, but uh, but the more secular tours are going to say, okay, we're selling you a prepackaged experience that we want you to enjoy. And they're going to go ahead and put in all those other partners. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, uh, do you see church leaders, pastors often coming with their groups? Yeah. Yeah. And are they adding anything to the trips in terms of, uh, let's have a little Bible study or a, a teaching moment or, you know, worship time or prayer time, or does it tend to be like, no, let's just see the attractions. A little bit of both. Yeah. Um, there are some pastors and, and even to some tour operators, frankly, that I've talked to that are and adding in those elements. Sometimes at the hotel, a lot of the hotels will provide a, a meeting room where they can kind of touch base on, 
on uh, what they saw for the day and reflect and that kind of thing, which is wonderful. Yeah. Some may even do something like that on the bus as they travel. I don't know. But yeah, I get some of that. And and like I said, I I can think of one tour operator in particular um, who adds in many of those elements Mm. um, just to add value to the experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. How does a church benefit Mm -hmm. uh, in the long term from making travel part of what they do. Let's say they come to the ark, they have a great time and they say, Hey, maybe we could do this in other places. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe we should visit something down in Tennessee. Maybe we should visit uh, something up in the Northeast. Is that something that is from your perspective as a pastor, is that mm-hmm. something that has value uh, in ministry for churches? Well, it does. I think it's similar to the question you asked me before about what those benefits are of fellowship, inspiration, um, you know, connecting it with the teaching. So, you know, if they come to the ark, like you described, and they have a wonderful experience and they, they accomplish those three goals, um, being able to replicate that somewhere else is a good thing. And we're at a position, we're at a point right now in faith-based tourism where all of a sudden, and I shouldn't say that it's been at least 10, 15 years, but, Mm. but, we're at an era where all of a sudden we have these wonderful faith-based attractions domestically. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the Ark and we have the museum and we have um, Museum of the Bible and we have Sight and Sound Theaters mm-hmm. in Lancaster and in Branson. We have the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center now in Philadelphia. So yeah. great um, venues that a pastor could take, you know, his congregation, they can experience those three things and bring it back to the church. And others grow from it. I mean, a good example of that would be the international, um, you know, pilgrimage kind of tours. Yeah. You know, I know there's a lady, um, a couple, but specifically the the wife um, in my own church that was just in Israel mm. a couple weeks ago. So literally at Easter, she um, she's showing all the pictures of all the sites they went to in the women's study to be able to explain, here's... The, the garden tomb. Here's yeah. where Jesus did this. Here's where, and, and it, again, it makes faith come to life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I would even editorialize a little bit. Uh, I love the Holy land. I love mm-hmm. the middle East. I've spent a lot of time there. Um, not every person has the resources to go. Right. You know, I mean, we, we need to recognize that Well, travel in general is a privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something we enjoy in the U S that many people just don't get to in other parts of the world. But even in the U S in, in some churches, there are a lot of people who would look at the pastor's trip to the Holy land that costs three or $4,000 a person right. and say, well, gee, isn't that nice for all the people in the church <laughs> that have those resources, but I don't, I don't have them and, and I never will. But domestic mm-hmm. opportunities can vastly, lower those barriers to entry and, and be something that's accessible. And that maybe even the church could find a way to help provide right. uh, some funds for, yeah, you put you put that same group on a motor coach instead of a flight, an international flight, you have a lot more available to you as to what you can do. Yeah. So. So the traditional tour market uh, for many years has been seniors. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we have seen some expansion of that over the years, and that's a good thing. Does that hold true for faith-based travel? Is it mostly senior groups? Or are you seeing different demographics as well? It's predominantly senior still. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I have, you know, the church groups, but I also have the secular groups. But again, most of those are going to tend to be seniors. Now, our attractions definitely cater across many demographics. Yeah. Um, so, 
you know, we'd love to and do have many student groups that come from various Christian church, Christian schools and things like that. We don't get as many of the secular schools because sure. there's just too many hurdles for them to jump over. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly we have a lot of Christian schools that come. Um, we, um, you know, the church groups might be seniors, but they may, you know, be adults, you know, so we, we really see a, a broad range. Um, at both of our at both of our attractions um, last year and this year, actually twenty twenty also, um, kids were free. Ten, oh, cool! Ten and under, yeah, ten and under. So, I mean, there aren't too many attractions that would do that, right? But we want this message in those kids' hands, yeah. And we've done that. We've made that investment in that to say, uh, just bring them, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just bring them, yeah, yeah. So, um, putting on your pastor hat, I yes. wonder if you could offer some perspective or some next steps to other pastors or people who are volunteers or Sunday school leaders in their churches uh, who would think, well, this sounds cool. I like the idea of taking a trip to see the Ark or some other faith-based experience. I have no idea where to start. I'm mm -hmm. not a travel agent. I don't have a travel agent in my church. We don't own any buses. Like, mm -hmm. how, how do I even begin to wrap my head around the ABCs of getting a group on the road? What would you tell that pastor? Okay. Um, well, given the fact that we're talking nationwide, um, I would probably first start them with a tour operator in their region. Mm. Okay. Um, I mean, just look, look, just look it up, you know, um, you can f find good quality tour operators from just about any region. Um, that would probably be my starting point for them to say, okay, this is something we're considering. Where can we go? Or yeah. what would it be? And what would be involved? Honestly, at this stage of the game, five years in, um, almost every one of those are going to be on their way to the ark mm. at one point or another. Yeah. And that's just, just the reality of it. So that would be a good starting point. And then of course they can also, um, go to other directions. Some of these other faith-based uh, tours that I've talked about, um, they can always, um, call the attraction that they want to at attend. So if they were to call my staff, um, at the Ark Encounter and start asking those questions, how do I get going? They would be able to give them some, some based on their location, based on a number of things. You know, there's some um, some national tour operators that basically originate from just about anywhere, mm. you know, that we work very closely with. Yeah. So, you know, we can point them in that direction, that kind of thing. But I think that's how I'd start. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it, you know, I'd probably give more specifics on, you know, where they're from and where we're going and things like that. But I think that's how I'd start. You can call convention or CVBs. Mm -hmm. I think that can be a little bit hit and miss. Um, depending on what region you're calling. Sure. But it's, but it's an, another idea. Yeah. Well, we've seen so much turnover at CVBs with right. all the turmoil in the world over the, the past couple of years. So that may not be as easy as, you yeah. know, as it was two or three years ago. Yeah. So a uh, similar question from, from a different angle. Let's say uh, we have many listeners who run small tour companies yeah. or, or are involved in travel in their local communities. And they say, you know what? I have not operated a trip to the ark i have not thought about talking to churches in my area to see if uh, they would be interested in travel so again as a pastor how does someone who sells travel and packages travel connect with churches network with churches and start that conversation in a way that is meaningful and appreciated and is not doesn't come across as salesy or cold calling right so an interesting perspective before we built the ark um, my primary role with the ministry was working with all the churches in Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky, um, bringing groups from churches specifically um, to the Creation Museum. Okay, what that meant was that literally every day that I worked, I was somewhere in those three states, mm. sitting face to face with a pastor, 
um, you know, five or six of them a day. Yeah. Okay. Telling them about the museum, why they should come, the impact it would have on their church, that kind of thing. So my advice to a tour operator who starts with that is first off, when you do call into a church, start with the pastor. Okay. But realize you're not going to end up there. Mm. Okay. So the pastor is the one who will give a blessing to, um, we want to go to the ark. We want to go to the museum. Um, we want to do travel at all. Okay. Um, the, so the pastor is kind of the first hurdle, um, but more than likely the pastor is not going to be the one to actually plan the tour. So I think you begin with the pastor and you ask the question, who within your congregation mm-hmm. should I be talking to? And it may be a staff member, maybe a secretary, it may be a, um, a congregant. Yeah. Um, so that trying to get Pat, but, but starting with the pastor to get there is wise, because if you start with that, first off, if you start with that person, you're not going to find them. Secondly, you may go a long way with them. And then the pastor says, no, we're not going to do that. You know? <laughs> right. So, so you kind of need to start there, but then we end up with what I call the church champion. Mm. Okay. There's a champion in the church for either faith-based travel or specifically a ministry like the Ark and the Creation Museum. Um, that's passionate about the message, and I want to bring 45 of my closest friends with me. Yeah. You know, finding that person is not easy, Yeah, but I think that's the approach. Start with the pastor and work towards that person. Yeah. So for that tour operator, should they sort of have a package in mind or, uh, you know, a brochure or something ready to hand that person saying, here's what we would propose to you? Or should they start with a person and say, how do you like the sound of this trip? What would you like to do while we're there? Um, I think having a package, yeah, it would be helpful. Having a planned itinerary, not that uh, not an itinerary that can't be tweaked, can mm-hmm. be changed, but to basically say, "I've done the work yeah. for you. Here is a here's a, a great tour that you're going to enjoy." The one thing we didn't also mention is there are, another thing you can do is work with a receptive tour operator mm-hmm. in a region, and mm-hmm. we have several in ours. Um, but um, do, do that kind of thing, but, but have a prepackaged itinerary that says, here's something that I've put together for you, a rough estimate of cost, but this is what it would take to, to go and experience in whatever region, be, be it the Ark in the museum or somewhere else, to be able to come, say, experience that, tweak that itinerary along the way. Yeah. You know, hey, we, we don't like that restaurant. How about that? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So helpful. That's going to be Great for our listeners. I have just a few more questions that we ask everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, where can people find you, follow you, or uh, keep up with what the ministry is doing? Okay. Well, so as far as keeping up with the ministry, um, arcencounter.com, mm-hmm. creationmuseum.org. Those okay. are the the two things, and they'll connect back and forth, of course. Um, so that's the best thing. Um, um, with that, um, I am totally accessible, as is my staff. Um, so you can call me directly, 888 um, 888- 582-4253, extension 377, or email me at elutz, uh, E-L-U-T-Z, at arkencounter.com. Yeah, direct line. That's great. All right, so we have some final questions that these are just kind of fun getting to know you. I, I love to end on these. Um, so when you fly, do you book a window seat or an aisle seat? Aisle. Aisle. Why is that? I'm a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lots of shoulder room. <laughs> yeah. Enough said. Enough said. So what is one thing in your carry-on that you never travel without? In my carry-on? Mm-hmm. Oh, my iPad. Yeah. yeah. Smart. <laughs> Smart. If you had a free airline ticket and a week off work to go anywhere in the world, where would you pick? 
My wife and I spent our honeymoon at St. John Virgin Islands, mm-hmm. and uh, we have not gone back, and it's been 40 years. Wow. So um, that would be a good one. <laughs> it's, about, it's about time. It's about time. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. All right. Final question. Uh, what's something that you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and experience with somebody you love? Wow. There's so many. I mean, you know, on these, these various travel shows, um, gosh. Um, one event that I remember from one of the uh, ABA shows, um, was in Grapevine, Texas. Of course, Mm -hmm. last year was in Grapevine, Texas, but it was the first time. Yeah. Um, and we actually had a party on the field of Cowboy Stadium under that massive jumbotron. Yes. And it was just overwhelming experience. The rest of the show was awesome too. Yeah. But that one in particular stands out as, yeah, that would be cool to to do together. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. I was there. I still yeah. have my picture from the 50 yard line. So do I. Pretty incredible. <laughs> Fantastic. Eddie, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Eddie Lutz. I hope you understand why he is one of my favorite people in faith tourism. You know, he said some things that I think are really helpful that I want to hit again, just to make sure you don't miss them. You know, when he talked about uh, the value of faith-based tourism, he said it's common at churches and that it's growing and that churches take trips together, number one, for inspiration, but number two, for fellowship. You know, a faith-based trip is not just about seeing biblical sites or going to museums that are related to scripture or related to faith, but it's about having fun together because traveling together creates community. And at the end of the day, that's what a faith organization's mission is all about is creating community. And so as you plan trips for faith-based groups, or as you think about it, uh, remember that it's not just about faith attractions. It's about building community through fellowship and anything that you can think of to do on a trip that builds that kind of community is going to be a positive experience that adds value to your travelers and helps the church move its mission forward. You know, Eddie also said that when a tour is put together, people want to have fun, they want to eat, they want to enjoy themselves. So he said, you start with an anchor attraction and then you build the itinerary to make the experience something they want to come back to. So again, when you put that faith-based trip together, by all means, anchor it around a popular faith-based destination or attraction or experience, but don't limit yourself there because I'll be honest with you, doing too much of any one thing on a tour can start to get boring and monotonous. And your faith-based travelers, they don't want to go to one faith attraction after another for days on end. So give them some other things to do. They will thank you for it. And finally, Eddie gave us some tips about how to get a church involved in faith travel, especially if they haven't done it before. He said, you need to start with a pastor, but realize you're not going to end up there. And he said, there's a champion in the church for faith-based travel. So you got to find that person and uh, finding that person is not easy, but that is the approach that works. And I think this is a really good piece of advice, whether you are somebody in a church who is interested in getting travel going, or whether you are somebody from a travel organization, maybe a tour company, maybe just a community travel leader, and you would love to invite a church to get involved in your trips. The person to start with is the pastor or a pastor. And maybe what you do is you just call the church and you say, hey, who in your church uh, is in charge of travel? And if they don't have anybody in charge of travel, ask if there is a pastor that you could talk to who might be interested 
in travel as a part of the church's ministry. And it's going to take some time. You're not going to connect with them on your first phone call. There are going to be emails. There's going to be back and forth. There's going to be reminders. But sooner or later, you will find the person who can actually make a decision. And then you just have to sell them on the benefits of travel. And if you do that, you can make uh, travel an important part of a church's thriving ministry. You can make it a new part of their ministry and you can make it a growing part of your travel business. There's our takeaways from that conversation with Eddie. Now, before we go, I promised you a hot minute, and that's what we're going into right now. Yeah, that's right. The hot minute is the part of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered thoughts on an issue impacting travel right now. And we talked at the top of the show about how Germany is rolling out a new tax on tourism organizations beyond its borders. And, you know, this phenomenon of governments trying to extract revenue from tourism is not a new thing. I have some thoughts about it. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. Okay, so this new German tax is perhaps the most ridiculous thing I have heard all year. Just the gall to think that you can tax organizations outside your sovereign borders is absolutely absurd. But you know what? It shouldn't be surprising because for years, governments have tried to raid tourism to raise revenue because the thought process says that tourists don't vote and they can't do anything about it. And so it's a cheap and easy way to extract some cash from people that won't vote you out of office. Here's the problem, though. Tourism taxes can be ridiculously counterproductive. Uh, this proposed tax in Germany, what's it going to do? Well, it's going to make American travel agents stop selling German products because they don't want to pay the taxes. So what do governments need to do? Well, they need to learn to keep their grubby paws off of tourism because tourism is actually a net economic driver and taxing it is counterproductive. What should they do instead? Well, maybe they should try getting their own economic houses in order, spending less than they take in, and stop trying to take tourism money to make up the difference. That's the hot minute, or I don't know, the hot minute plus five for today. Uh, you can agree with me. You can disagree with me. Either way, we can still be friends. And hey, either way, I would love to hear what you think. You can send us your thoughts, your questions, uh, rebuttals, insights to podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes to that address, and you never know. Your message just might end up being the topic of the next hot minute. While you are in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a favor and go to your podcast service of choice? Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. That really helps us get the word out about what we're doing. And I am thankful for it. My thanks as well to Eddie Lutz. Now on the next episode of Gather and Go, we're going to have a fascinating conversation with Eric Wolf, who runs the World Food Travel Association. We're going to dig into the world of culinary tourism, talk about why it should be part of your next trip and the ways that food is changing the travel landscape. You are not going to want to miss that. Until then, though, remember this. At the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Donya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 888-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of The Group Travel Leader. 
For more information about our magazines, podcasts, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com.